As we said uh, in the series, and if you've missed the first two parts, go back to Church Center app, tap on archive, and you can check those out. What we've been doing is trying to unpack 24 hours of a day spent with God, a day with God. Now, back in the day, whenever this show was on, 24, Jack Bauer, uh, for 24 weeks, lived one day, because we took one, one day, uh, one hour a week. Man, uh, that's crazy. What's also crazy is I watched every episode. And I never saw the man take a break to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I never saw him go get something to eat. I don't know how he did it, honestly. I, I can't go that long. I'm just telling y'all. So, This isn't Jack Bauer. This is us. And that's television. This is real life. So for the last couple of weeks, what we've done is we've dealt with the morning hours. And then we dealt with the daytime hours. We're dealing with morning, noon, and today we're dealing with night. Okay. There's things that we can learn throughout this whole thing. But the, the, if you go back and look at that, uh, the, the, the first message had to do with you need to shout it. Shout God's praise. Start your day off by pointing your heart and your attention to the one who literally gives you breath. We also said you need to feel it. Find passages of Scripture. Renew your mind to the fact that God truly loves you. This isn't just a Sunday go-to-meeting sort of thing. It's a 24-7 kind of thing. It's okay to feel loved. It's okay to feel confident. It's okay to be happy that your past, your present, and your future has literally been dealt with, that He hasn't left you, He hasn't forsaken you. So you need to shout it. You need to figure out some habits that help you to feel it. We've tried to we'll do this with all of our message, but um, find something in God's Word that is a promise, a strong foundation that you can stand on and hide that in your heart. Not only read God's Word, but remember it. And the only way to remember it is by reviewing it and reviewing it and reviewing it. We have so many devices now that will help us do that. So you need to shout it, feel it, hide it, and then say it. Speak it out. Speak the words of Christ in your life. These are, these are good habits so that as you move into your responsibility and day, you are actually spending at least 20, you know, part of the 24 with him. Now, this past week, we dealt with the daytime hours. And oddly, even though those are the, 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 the greater, larger number in any given chunk, there was only two things that our instruction uh, was, and that is live it and give it. Don't just walk the walk, walk his walk. Live it. Live it and give it. In other words, be an audio-visual Christ follower. Speak about it anytime you can. I will tell you this again. Jesus did not call us to be annoying. That is not what I'm talking about. Don't be a spiritual know-it-all. But do speak of what God is doing in your life and how He is the one who gives you life. And so whenever you live it and then you give it, or as I like to say, you say it and spray it, or um, know it and show it. Literally, I can do this all day long. I really, I can. I can do it all day long. You're shouting it, you're feeling it, hiding it, saying it, living it, giving it. Today, I want us to deal with the evening hours, and we've got to get it in our mind what that means. It's not just a division on the clock, because everybody, like I said, sometimes 
early risers, that's 4 a.m. people for some, 11 a.m. for others. So whatever your clock is and whatever your evening hours are, we've got to get it in our mind what we're talking about. It's important to understand how we think about these things. Because I, you know, before I became a pastor, I was a man. I'm just telling you, these things, uh, I wrestle with them as well. And I know you do too. I've talked to so many men and women. How we think about our evening hours is so curious. Because especially in America, we live with this living for the weekend. It's actually, no, we're living for five o'clock. It's five o'clock somewhere. Once we get done with what we consider to be the things we have to do, we move into the things we say, oh, now these are the things I want to do. Which, that's where the, the, the um, uh, I guess the active phrase is, I, this is my time. This is, this is uh, we, we think of evening as our time. Morning, that's required. In order to get, you know, back into the human race, you have to get up off the bed, you have to go about the stuff, uh, you know, the work. I, I wrote it down like this, morning is required, work just makes us tired, but evening gets us wired. We get wired because we think of it as our time or family time or Miller time or whatever. It's like, this is us and don't you be messing with it. Okay. Here's the thing is that even the cynical, the most cynical among us, uh, even cynics become idealists in the evening. And here's what I mean. And I'm being hyperbolic and very dramatic, but... See, you can see the ideal evening in your mind's eye, and you can put in your, your specifics. You get home at, a, at exactly 5.15 every single day because nobody stepped into your workplace at three minutes till five whenever they can see that you're closing at five. That never happens because you, you know, ideally get home at exactly uh, 5.15. And all of your family rushes to the door when you walk in and they greet you and they greet you with such sincerity oh dad you're home we've been missing you you have conversations how did your day go at school and your kids actually say well it was like this instead of fine You have this great communication. Everybody's talking to one another. And it's like, you got it. Wait, 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 one at a time. Let's just hold on. And then it's like, come on, gang. We all move into the kitchen. And we all pitch in to help make dinner. <laughs> in fact, somebody's preparing the stuff on the stove. And, you know, some of the others in the family are going out to the garden that has absolutely no weeds or birds. And they're picking the tomatoes and stuff, and you bring in these beautiful, fresh things. And, you know, in fact, you've even taught somebody in the family how to make fresh pasta. And they're just churning that out. It's just coming together. Everybody's listening, and they're sharing deeply from their heart. <laughs> and all of that happens in under an hour. <laughs> nobody's hangry, nobody's upset. In fact, if there ever is a fight at your table, is you're fighting over who's actually going to clean up the kitchen. No, no, no. You, you go sit down. I'm going to take care of that. That's what you hear most of the time. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle to be the one who actually cleans up the kitchen. And you clean up the kitchen, it takes less than 10 minutes, which leaves you so much time. 
time to go and your kids say they have some algebra homework and you go in there and you look at it and you have a great and deep understanding of it <laughs> and then you show them exactly how it's done and they go, I don't know why I didn't see that before. After they've done their homework, we all gather in the family room and we sing some songs or we watch something on the television that just totally reinforces all of our values and all of our standards. And, and without fussing, when it's all done, you say, it's time for bed, and the kids say, that's right, that's right. <laughs> so long, farewell, I'll be just saying goodnight. And as they leave the room, you turn to your spouse and you say, baby, I've got all the candles lit in the bedroom. <laughs> and you just are so thankful you get to make love for the 12th night in a row. And then you, then you read some scripture and you pray together and you gently fall asleep and then you wake refreshed the next morning and you, it's just like shampoo, rinse, repeat. Shampoo. I don't know about your house for sure because I don't bug or tap any, you know, I have no listening device. That's not the way it goes at my house. Just want y'all to know. I've never experienced an evening it feels like that are you with me okay what I just described to you is we kind of hold something like that we want that commentary not in my notes is that Solomon one of the wisest men who ever lived said that God's placed eternity in our hearts if it means anything at all I think it definitely means there's something inside of us that does want to long for the ideal we want things to go well we want things to go right. But don't forget, you live in a broken world. Okay? So what I just described to you is honestly unreal. It's unreal. It's make-believe. But what I'm wanting you to see is just because it's less than whatever your reality is, is less than what I just described to you, does not make it a failure. I believe that Jesus has called us to live for him 24-7 on the literal, rugged plains of reality. That's why I try to help you understand the kind of following Jesus that I believe in is durable. It lasts far longer than 10 to 11.30 on a Sunday morning. I think it works at work. I think it works at school. I think following Jesus when it's tough works just as good whenever it's, things are going good. But you have to get your mind. See, here's the reality. You work hard. Someone does come in just before closing time. Or sometimes people's lives fall apart and they come talk to the preacher. Don't take anything. If you've got some hurts and you need to talk to me, that's great. I, I, I don't have any pastor dust to sprinkle over you. I just want you to know. But we will seek God together. But sometimes the work doesn't fit neatly between 9 to 5. And you get home at 6.30. Or you get home at 7. Because the work couldn't wait. The car is doing that thing again on your way home. Hopefully, somebody's actually left you something to eat. You do go help your kids with algebra, or at least you nod in their direction because what you looked at is like, I haven't thought about this since like 1996, and I have no idea. <laughs> you do find your lazy boy, you find your remote, and the romantic moment that you wish for does involve touching. It's when your spouse punches you and says, stop snoring so loud. 
Um, I want you to understand there is an unreal and there is a real. And the fill in the blank, I would say, to, to start with, is the key to living 24-7 for Jesus, the key to 24 living is focus on the real. Forget the unreal. Do not stand, don't let the unreal stand in the way of the real thing that God's doing in your life right now. Because what God does is he works with us in the messiness. He is there. That's why I say what we're doing today, I hope it's impactful to you. Communion happens in the middle of all the messiness. Broken people desperately need Jesus. So don't let unreal things stand in the way of what God really wants in your life, in your relationship, in your soul, because he is here. But this is, these are the very real planes, of, uh, rugged planes of reality. I will tell you, the God that I serve, the God that I follow through Jesus Christ, he knows how broken the world is, but he also knows that he's got plans for me. He's got plans for you. Ones that you and I can't quite grasp. That's why we have to trust him. But if you will allow him, if you keep walking in his direction, he will work in you to transform your life. And I've seen it happen in my life and in the lives of so many others. If you do that, he will also use your life to transform other people's lives. But you have a crucial choice to make. Because if you decide to prize the unreal, I'm just telling you, if you try to keep trying, uh, trying to climb the ladder of, 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 of that kind of dream, whatever your dream is, it won't come true in this world. Sorry, Disney, I have to tell you, not all dreams come true. If you are basing your life on a dream you will eventually give up. And I don't want to see you give up. I want you to believe in, trust in, follow, be in a deep, committed relationship with the very real Jesus. Now, it's always been this way. Always been this way for men and women like us because back in the day, what we're talking about, we have different vocabulary for it, but back in the day, these were called idols when you had the unreal. Dealt with this in a lot of different ways. Idols are things that human beings can make out of wood and metal and stone, and they'll put on a mantle, and then they will add. People have been doing this for centuries, for, for generations, for, for millennia. Uh, these idols, uh, these objects, so that people would have a focal point to say to this object, you know what I need? You're my focal point, and I need you to make my crops grow. Dear idol, I need you to intervene in this situation because we need to get pregnant. Dear idol, I need you to send rain. Now, whatever it may be, human beings are wired to worship. But you have to make the choice of what you will worship. And God said, don't go down that road. You should not have any other idols. Because I am not an idol. I am not, you cannot contain me. What I find most interesting in our time is we don't call them idols, but we do come to church, we have a, a version of Jesus, and like I had the backpack up here a couple of weeks ago, it's almost as if we can get Jesus into a small enough device or an object or a dream. It's like, well, I'm going to pray to you, but if it becomes inconvenient, I'm going to put you in the backpack and I'm going to put you in the trunk because then I don't have to respond to you, I don't have to relate to you. He says, don't treat me that way because I am the one true God. It's not a threat, it's just a fact. Don't settle for stone and metal or wood or, or dreams. Don't let your idol become your ideal. Don't let unreal expectations and perfections, because you might live, you're like, well, if I can only get there, if that would only happen in my life. What you're doing is focusing on the outcome instead of the God who is actually in love with you. 
And you might be thinking, because I try to give everybody, you know, the, the benefit of the doubt, you might be thinking, you know, I understand your message about Jesus, and I do believe he was inspirational, I believe he was all those things. And I understand what you're saying, uh, it's not hard for me to conceive, that he's the only way to be forgiven, you know, get my past forgiven, have a purpose for living home in heaven. But I'm not good enough yet. But I will do that when I get good enough. Well, you're misunderstanding the message. I love you, but you ain't ever going to be good enough. That's why Jesus came and did what he did. is because you ain't good enough. And if you ever get that boo you head, then all of a sudden it gets to your heart and you go, that blows my life apart. And you say, I need a brand new life. And he's like, I'm ready to give it. He says, come as you are. Not as you hope to be. Come as you are and let me work with you and I will help you start to take on the character that I have. Because I am the hope. It's not I hope, I hope. He says, I, Jesus, am that hope. It's not what you know, it's who you know that will make the difference. But as long as you and I make the unreal the focal point, that's going to be your idol. This is part of my life verse. Uh, and I, I, I set it up in my notes. I think it's time to trade the unreal for the real thing. This is what Paul wrote in Romans 12.1. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. That's really what this whole series has been about. All three sessions. That's what we've been talking about. Is how do you give God the ordinary you and ask Him to do extraordinary things through it? How can you turn your life into an offering? What would it look like if you were to literally place your life before the God of the universe as an offering to him each and every day? What would your evenings look like if you did that? What if you're missing out on some really good stuff because you thought the evenings were all about you? But we sang about it's not about us. It's all about you, Jesus. But what does that look like? What would happen if it literally revolutionized your evening? Hmm. I got some ideas. Write this down. I think it's time to share it. In other words, if you can view your time, and there's nothing wrong with having time that you can invest in relationships, hobbies, all those kinds of things, but can you honor God with it? First thing I would say is share it. It's a time for relationships. It has been proven, and I can also do it from Scripture, hurry and rush is just so bad for your soul. And yet we live in a society that prizes hurry, 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 rush, rush, rush. Oh, that stress. What if you could figure out a way to at least tone down, if not eliminate, all the hurry and rush from your life? What if you saw tonight as a time to reinforce Build relationships with people that you're very close to. What if you truly believe that relationship with God and relationship with other people is actually the highest value in life? But here's the question. Why is it so difficult to have good, meaningful conversations? Most of the time it's because everybody's too tired. Emotional energy is just as important as physical energy, but if you are already worn out by the time you get there, 
What you're saying in relationship is, I don't want to try and meet anybody else's relationship needs. I need somebody to meet my needs. That's what we think before we walk in the door. I'm tired, I'm spent, I'm worn out. My energy and emotions, we, I am tapped out. I do not have anything to give. And I'm just being honest. What you're saying in your mind is, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. <laughs> so you got a choice right there. You can opt to be selfish or even self-centered, like everything just needs to revolve around you even if it's not coming to you. But what you're actually trying to do is trying to get your self-maintenance needs met. Because Jesus told us to take care of ourselves. But don't confuse selfishness, self-centeredness, or self-maintenance. I say you can intentionally choose joy method. The J-O-Y approach. Focus on Jesus, focus on others, focus on you. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. Do it in that order. Practice that. And you will become selfless. And the funny thing is, I said this in all, se- all three sessions, is the less you think about yourself and getting your needs met, the funny thing is, is that you get your needs met. That don't make no sense. I know. It's unexplainable, but it's also undeniable. Jesus said it like this. In Luke 6, 31, he said, Do for others as you would like them to do for you. That's upside down. That is upside down, but it's still true. Because what Jesus said in those words, he says, give away what you need. Now, if you do that as a habit or you do that as a rule, then your relationships, I guarantee it, not because I said it, but because it's true, your relationships will be revolutionized. Those of you, and I love each one of you, those of you who have all the Sunday school pins, you were going, ooh, that's called the golden rule. I want to tell him that's called the golden rule. That's the golden rule. I got it. The golden rule. But we try to live by other rules because our culture convinces us we need to do something besides what Jesus said. (laughs) You say, what other kind of rules are there? Oh, there's lots of rules. Here's the reciprocal rule. It's a variation on the golden rule, but it actually reads as, I do for others as they do for me. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. The problem with that rule is, if you stop, I'm going to stop too. So that actually means our relationship is already dead in the water. There's the ricochet rule. (laughs) The ricochet rule is, I do unto you what somebody did unto me. It looks kind of like this. You and your spouse have a fight. But you know what's causing the fight? It's because of what your parents did to you 20 years ago, but you come home on that bad day, you yell at your spouse who screams at your son who pinches his sister who kicks the dog and the dog bites the head off the Barbie doll. (laughs) And I say to you, when you come home tomorrow, you bite the head off the Barbie doll and save everybody else a lot of pain, okay? (laughs) Hurt people, hurt people. (laughs) But healed people Look for ways to heal people. I don't know. I didn't even write this down. There's another rule, and that is, uh, I think it's the preemptive rule. I'm going to do unto others before they do it unto me. It's all defensive. There's the hidden motive rule. (laughs) I act like I'm doing it for you, but I'm actually doing it for me. That's when a husband is so thoughtful that he buys his wife a fishing boat. And she's so kind that 
she generously gives her husband um, concert tickets. Uh, see, Ab um, <laughs> here's what Jesus said. He said, this is the rule that works. He said, here's a simple rule done for your behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and you do it for them. That means even in the evening hours. Just as much as you did it in the morning and the daytime hours. Y'all picking up what I'm laying down? Okay. Jesus said you practice this. It's not listen to an oblong dud like me and then you go and do it once. Like, oh, I did what the preacher said. No, this is how you live. 24-7 for God. It will transform, energize your relationships. It will energize you. But it is a tough choice to make. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And you and I know, everybody ain't doing it. Out here on the rugged plains of reality, we have to come to terms with, there's something inside of us that says, I want what I want, and I want it right now. That's natural. As the kids would say, that is so last month. That's the old life, y'all. Christ followers, we have a brand new life. We don't do the natural thing. We do the supernatural thing because we are empowered by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Sin is real, and it damages our life. And that's why God said, you've got to fight and overcome sin. But that's why I would say, with the power of Christ in your life, of being able to do life as he did life, you can win over sin. You won't win every single time. Is that because his power isn't sufficient? No, it's because you're still in development. But don't give up the fight. You can win over sin, but you got to understand, I do not, you speak it from your point of view, I do not have to take orders from my pride anymore. Another of my life verses comes from the, what Paul wrote in, in Philippians, and in, in this is chapter 2. He says, when you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, he says, that's not what to do, but here's what you, you know, replace it with. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than you do to yourselves. And I love how he says this. He says, do not be interested only in your own life. It's okay to be interested in who God shaped you to be and to take interest in your interests. It's not about not having a life. You're not a robot. But he says, you've got to understand, don't be interested only in your life. But be interested in the lives of others. And those others may have your same last name. Selfishness and pride will try to convince you to think, you know what, as you walk into the house, whoever you're talking to in your family or your friend group, you go, inside you're going, you know what, it's your turn to meet my needs because I've met your needs for the last seven times. And you get all... I, the funny thing is, is that I don't remember the golden rule mentioning taking turns. It doesn't say take turns. It just simply says live this way. I want you to think of whoever you may be in a standoff with right now. I know some of you is like, I don't ever have any problem with any other human being. It's not a problem. This, this, well, if that doesn't apply to you, you write it down and share it with someone. It does, okay? 
No, I know good and well. There's somebody in your life that you're like in a standoff with right now, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, it's, it's their turn. I'm just waiting. It's a stalemate. And I'm saying in the power of Jesus Christ, you break that stalemate, and you thank God for that other person. You go, what? Yeah. That's why Jesus, I think, his most deep teaching, he says, pray for those who hate you. Love those who despitefully use you. I'm going, that's about the deepest sermon I know how to give. I, that's, wow. It's graduate level loving, isn't it? Mm. Philippians 1.3 says, every time I think of you, I thank my God. That's a good practice. And, and you know what? That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten words. Ten words. You can hide God's word in your heart. I guarantee you, you can write that down on your bathroom mirror in a, in a week. You'll remember that one. You say, but I'm so mad at them. I know. I'm learning this from someone I work with. To develop an attitude of gratitude, you need to make the practice of even looking for the smallest thing you can thank God for in their life. Just start there. Start there and build on that. And I think you will see power in that one little choice. I'm just telling you, you cannot act unselfishly toward them unless you acknowledge that they have value in the eyes of God. So here's some practical stuff and we'll move on. To get real with this, thank God for somebody. Just whoever that is. Thank God for somebody. Do it right now. I would love to hear if that makes any difference in your life uh, in the days to come. And uh, like I said, share that. Try to develop relationships with your evening hours. Another of the evening hour practices is you need to enjoy it. You need to enjoy it. Some people have this uh, a misunderstanding that if you come to Christ, then, then you're like no fun anymore. Okay, Can't have fun. Following Jesus means you have to be a sourpuss all the time. That is not true. Jesus came enjoying life. That is scripture. We get really bent out of shape over words like entertainment. Are Christ followers supposed to be entertained? Well, it kind of depends on what the entertainment is. The entertainment is not the problem. It's okay to be entertained, to have your mind occupied with things that are creative. But here's what I would say about entertainment. In, in most people I know, the entertainment portion of their life is in the evening hours. Their hobbies, their readings, it might be uh, you know, on the internet, uh, TV, movies, pulling out uh, you know, table games, whatever. But if you're serious about a life with God that is 24-7, you're going to have to make God the central part of your entertainment. That doesn't mean you only watch Bible stories, but it does mean that you look at things with a God view. See, here's the thing. We like to put him in his slice of the pie. Won't go through that anymore. But here's the thing. God's already a part of your entertainment. It's just like, are you honoring him with your entertainment? Because don't forget, this, uh, the Proverbs 5.21 says, The Lord sees everything you do, and he watches where you go. And some of you are going, Oh, no. <laughs> but let me also tell you this. He is a loving father. He's not a creeper. And by the way, he was here first. And when you're in need, the funny thing is, you will say, boy, I sure need you to be close. But whenever you're not in need and you're trying to do your own thing, it's like, well, hope he's not seeing this. He is. So I'm saying live your life the way you were designed to live it and come to grips with the fact that he's always there and you get to choose how to integrate him into everything. That is what we've been talking about today in worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you must do 
all for the glory of God. Boy, I sure just wanted to pull this one out and, and make it into an entire message. Because what this is referring to in context is you and I as Christ followers, there's no need for a temple in Jerusalem. There's no need for a tabernacle wandering in the desert because you and I as Christ followers are the temple tabernacle. And if you go and read about the temple and the tabernacle, God's glory showed up in it. And when they wandered around the desert, it would be a, a pillar of fire at night uh, and, and, and uh, the, the, the cloud by day. Do you have the glory of God in your life? Well, you're supposed to. You're supposed to be reflecting and showing how good God is. Give people a picture uh, to others to see what God is like with whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you watch, whatever you talk about. Because he's not, he's not just spiritual. He is here with you on the rugged plains of reality. But so I go back to some of you are still stuck on the whole enjoy. Some of you have a hard time believing that God wants you to have fun. But I look around, and particularly where we live, I think God is incredibly entertaining. There's so much mystery in the mountains that we live near or go up into. The color, the unpredictability of the weather, uh, <laughs> sounds. I find it interesting, because I grew up in the lowlands. You can go in the mountains in the you know, springtime and whenever the flowers are blooming, and you have to you know, um, get in some sort of vehicle that would take you places most people never go and you look up in those valleys and it's carpeted with color that no human being is ever going to see god is incredibly entertaining you say you need to know how god is so entertaining and loves humor just look at yourself in the mirror <laughs> plus just think of animals just think of a giraffe or a platypus it's like Wow, okay. But what we, we, the things that we call entertainment in the 21st century, uh, I'll just tell you, and we're getting into this in the uh, WWJP uh, series, much of what we have in screens and electronic media is neutral. It's what we do with it that makes the difference. I, I'm quoting and standing on the, the shoulders of giants. It's kind of like chewing gum. Don't swallow it. Just because you read it on Abraham Lincoln's website doesn't make it true. Some of y'all will get that. He didn't have a website, but some people think he did. Okay. Also, back to chewing gum. Don't chew too much because it irritates other people. It's annoying. I will also tell you this. If you swallow and ingest what you read or entertain with or chewing gum, if you ingest it often enough, it, it's going to poison your system. Some of you are not going to watch the games today. I will be watching them. That's me. I have no money involved, but I'm saying I like to watch them play football. Video gaming is not evil in and of itself, but it can overtake your life. TV shows can do that. As the world turns, <laughs> like sand through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. I'm like, come on. Anyway, got to figure this out. Learn to read the labels on everything in life to say, is this honoring God? Is it blessing people? Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart because it affects everything you do. So I would say, if you're going to get real about this, discover some new fun. That's what I would say. If you like to watch TV, 
then try to do that in relationships. Choose ones that actually ask some questions instead of just give you stuff. Ask questions. And then have discussions about how does that fit with what we believe. Because, gang, we cannot be salt and light if we're afraid of the culture that we live in. Um, Leanne and I, I know we're in our 60s, but we just got a new video game, and we're having a blast. <laughs> if, if only I could keep up with her gaming skills, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, mix it up. Discover something new that would uh, bring relationships closer together. Honor God. Got to go on to the next one. Um, if you can live for God, here's another one that a lot of people skip over, and that is rest it. Rest it. Because God actually made you to have time for sleep. Time for sleep. Time for sleep. Like I said, Jack Bauer could go 24 hours. I don't know how. We live in the real world. You and God. You are you. And you most definitely need your sleep. Because I've had friends in my past who like, oh man, I can get by on three and a half, four hours of sleep. I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> that is not what God designed. I, you can, and sometimes you have to. But that is not the way you are to self-maintain. You definitely need your sleep. Some people think of sleep as an afterthought. It's like, well, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Again, why, what, what is that? That is not healthy. It doesn't look at how God designed you and then try to respond to that. Two reasons I would say that. Your body is designed to go and to stop. That has been proven time and time again, but we knew that 3,000 years ago in Scripture. But it's also, what I'm getting at is whenever you believe that kind of thing about yourself, what you're tending to believe is that you are God. And you're not God. I had a visit with a friend this week. He said, you know what I discovered this week? Because he said, I decided to resign as general manager of the universe. <laughs> and he said, when I woke up the next day, everything was still going. He said, they literally could do without me. Yeah, because he's not God. I'm not God. Psalm 4, 8 says, I can lie down and sleep soundly because you, Lord, will keep me safe. Victor Hugo, back in Notre Dame, he said, go to sleep with peace because God is awake. I realize this one is strenuous. It's strenuous because you and I, if we are to live for God, you ought to work and you ought to work hard. Don't give it halfway. Work and work hard. But we think that means that we don't ever stop. But don't forget, it's God who gave you the ability. He says, I need you to manage it. And don't ever believe that you will ever get all the work done because you will never get all the work done. Psalm 127.2 says it's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? So, I would say give him the best, trust him with your rest. Sleep is not wasted time. It's an investment. Because you know what they say, too many irons in the fire will put the fire out. Or the old proverb, he who burns the candle at both ends not as bright as he thinks. Get real and go to bed on time. I would say one of the best things uh, you can do is to set a specific time to, and a, a specific landing pattern to go to bed. You've got to figure out what works for you, but stop the work and start the rest. There is nothing ungodly about that. And 
you know, put it in here. Should I talk about sex as a part of this, this message? Well, I already have, so I'm going to add two more thoughts. If you're single, you need to plan not to have sex, or you will. If you are married, you need to plan to have sex, or you won't. And that's all I've got to say about that. Number four. You need to recharge it. That is, make some time for yourself. Focus on you for a little while. What I'm saying is, you need to be specific and, and, and strategic about taking care of you. Recharge your batteries. Just like this microphone I'm wearing operates on a battery, we have to recharge it. It won't work if the batteries are run, run out. Well, you, you won't operate well either. You got your work, you got your relationships, you, you got your health. All of them will suffer if you don't recharge you. But I will say, because the culture I grew up in, the church culture and some of the, the odd beliefs that, that were a part of all that, a lot of people feel guilty about doing this. And two groups that I know of, because I worked with one, and I are the other. <laughs> I loved English. It was wonderful. Um, new moms. New moms. And I think a lot of you could back me up on this. New moms think, you know, after they've had that baby, and man, they've given everything it took to get them here, and then for those first six, seven months, they're trying to do it. And you try and, uh, it's like, hey, why don't you let us take care of the baby? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. No, I wouldn't be a good mom if I were to take a day off. You go, no, I want to take, you need, you need to take a day off so that you can continue to be a good mom, right? That's a, a huge ministry, by the way. If you know anyone who's in that situation, try and help them. But preachers are the same way. Pastors are the same way. Because you have to see it from my perspective, and that is there's always need of someone needs to come to know Jesus. Someone needs to take their next best step. Ministries need to be built. There's just the, 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 the needs are endless. And so you say, I can't take a day off because the ministry needs to go on. And then you have people, you know, like in, in, in my shoes will go, nope, not going to take a day off. Devil never takes a day off. And then you go back at them and go like, I wonder if that's why he's the devil. <laughs> Jesus is the most unselfish person who ever lived, and he recharged. He would take, and he was here literally saving the world, and he would take a day off. Luke 5.16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. And you know, just scientifically speaking, I'll show you the studies, but uh, if you don't take time off, you get dumber. The studies say you will actually lose about 25% of, 25 of your cognitive ability if you don't take time off. So, do whatever you, you read. Lift weights, garden, journal, sing music. I'm trying to learn how to play the bass guitar. That's one of the things I'm doing. But it helps de-stress, recharge, and get me connected to God. But you can't charge and recharge at the same time. You say, well, I think I should take up walking. That'll help me. I'll focus on me. Okay, good. But tomorrow, when you do it, and then the next day, don't say, you know what? I went 4,000 steps yesterday. I'm going to go 4,500 today. You're missing the point. This is not charge. This is recharge. Different practice, a different focus, a different pace in which you and God get closer and closer. It's a different kind of finish. Psalm 94 says, Lord, when doubts fill my mind, when my heart is in turmoil, quiet me and give me renewed hope and cheer. 
Because if you don't recharge, I tell you, hope, joy, and cheer start to leak. 2 Corinthians says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. <laughs> you got to do this, because for those of you who are under the age of 40, gravity is coming <laughs> for you. Okay? So recharge your thoughts, vocabulary, your mind, your heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, When somebody becomes a new When he becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. New life has begun. The reason I put that verse in there is because where I wanted to head with this. I believe that following Jesus, if you trust him, he will give you a brand new life. Passage illustrates it. I think if you listen to how he taught and says, live this way, he will teach you how to be better at life. And if you follow him, he will bless you and he will give you a better life than you ever had before. But it starts with him. It doesn't start with doing what I've told you in these three weeks. These are good things. It's right out of scripture. But unless you come to know Jesus Christ as your forgiver and leader, it really doesn't mean anything. It's like lipstick on a pig. Okay? That's why I would say, If you don't get anything else I've said today, you need to get a brand new life. (laughs) And you might have come to church all your life, and today maybe you had an awakening, and like, wow, yes, absolutely. That's what I want. I've been playing church, now I want a brand new life. Or maybe you've just been tuning in over a few weeks, or maybe this is your very first time, but it became so clear to you. That is God tugging on your heart, saying, it's time to come to me. Start, Start living a brand new life. Let go of the old life, because you know that one's not working. You do realize that God practiced the golden rule when he reached out to you, right? Even while you were his enemy, he rescued you and made you his friend by dying to pay for your sin. Mm, 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 mm. And then he came out of the grave to prove he's got more than just talk. He's got all the power you need, and that power will give you the ability to do everything I've taught you in these three weeks. So I invite you. With your eyes wide open right now to say to Jesus, I want that. I want you to forgive me of my sin, my desire to be the boss. I want you to be the boss of me. And I want to live for you. And I'm going to try and take it day by day, step by step, and we're going to do this together. If you're already there, I say if you want to take something away from this series, uh, where do you struggle? Do you struggle in the morning, at noon, or at night? Get real about that. Give it to God. Shout it, feel it, hide it, speak it, live it, give it, share it, enjoy it, rest it, recharge it. One more time on what I started off with. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering.